Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. So glad you guys are here tonight. Uh, thanks for joining us. Tonight, Paul and I just want to, uh, to share a few thoughts with you uh, about Christmas. And so I'm going to start out with a, uh, by reading a prophecy that was written about Christ some 700 years before he was born. And so it's a, it's a picture of what he was coming to do. And so it comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. We'll show them up here on the screens. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow uh, of darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at a harvest, as warriors rejoiced when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You know, I've got to say, I've read that passage scores of times. And, and uh, what, my, what my tendency is, and maybe yours is as well, is that when I read that, I can't help but focus on, in on what that means for me, on what that means for us, and what's sort of promised in that passage. And there are tons of benefits that get listed, aren't there? I mean, this passage talks about hope that is offered, direction and purpose that comes to our lives because of Christ. It refers to increased joy and forgiveness and freedom as he shatters the yokes that burden us in our lives. It talks about his presence with us as the wonderful counselor and even as the one that brings us real and lasting peace as the prince of peace. We could spend the whole night just digging into any one of those kinds of topics and it would be amazing. It would be worth it. But tonight what I want us to do is I want us to hit the pause button on those things for just a moment and sort of focus on one phrase that sort of makes everything else in this passage possible. Six words that sort of opens the door to, to life and freedom and joy and peace and light and everything else in this passage. <laughs> It's these six words that are the foundation and really the reason that we come and we celebrate Christmas. These are the six words. To us, a son is given. To us, a son is given. Christmas is all about the giving of a son, but not just any son, right? The giving of God's son for us. Christmas is about God giving his one and only son for us all of us and for any one of us because he loved you and he loves me that much. Think about that. Think about that for just one minute. God loved you enough that he sent his one and only son, his son whom he loves greatly. He sent his son to be born into a barn, to be born in poverty, into a world that would, that would one day hate him into a world that would one day spit upon him, curse him, call him names, falsely accuse him, and one day put him to death. God sent his son into that kind of world for you and for me. 
God, the loving father, chose to sacrifice his son for you. And Jesus was not an unwilling accomplice to all this, right? He wasn't an unwilling participant. Jesus himself as well chose to come to, to come for us like that. Isaiah says, hope is coming into this world. Peace is coming. Freedom is coming. He says, joy is coming. And it all stems from this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. I ran across a story that I think puts this whole sort of idea into perspective so well. It's from author Max Lucado. And he describes what it's like to send his daughter uh, to kindergarten for the first time. Okay, so just, just I want you to listen to this. I want you just to, to kind of allow yourself to feel it as we read this story and just kind of get sucked in. He says this. He says, Jenna, wake up. It's time for you to go to school today. He says she will hear these words thousands of times in her life, but she heard them today for the first time. I sat on the edge of her bed for quite a while before I said them to her. To tell you the truth, I didn't want to say them. I didn't want to wake her up. There was this hesitancy that hung over me as I sat there in the early morning blackness. As I sat in silence, I realized that my words would awaken her to an entirely new world. For four lightning fast years, she had been ours. She had been ours alone. And now that was all going to change. We put her to bed last night as our little girl exclusive property of mommy and daddy. Mommy and daddy read to her, taught her, listened to her. But beginning today, somebody else will too. Until today, it was mommy and daddy who wiped away every tear and put on the band-aids. But beginning today, someone else would too. I didn't want to wake her. Until today, her life was essentially us, mom and dad and baby sister Andrea. Today, that, would, that life would grow. New friends, new teacher. Her world uh, was in this house, her room, her toys, her swing set. But today her world would expand. She would enter the winding hallways of education, of painting, of reading, of calculating, of becoming. I didn't want to wake her. Not because of the school. It was a fine school. Not because I didn't want her to learn. Heaven knows I wanted her to grow and mature. Not because she doesn't want to go. It's all she's talked about for weeks. No, I didn't want to wake her up because I didn't want to have to give her up. But I woke her up anyway. I interrupted her childhood with the inevitable proclamation, Jenna, wake up. It's time to go to school. It took me forever to get dressed that day. Dental and my wife saw me moping around and humming the words to sunrise, sunset and said, you'll ne never make it through our wedding. <laughs> she, she's right, he says. We took her to school in two different cars that day so that I could go directly to work afterwards. I asked Jenna to ride with me. I thought, I should give her a bit of fatherly advice. As it turned out, I was the one needing assurance. For one dedicated to the craft of words, I found very few to share with her that day. I told her to enjoy herself. I told her to obey her teacher. I told her, you know, if you get lonely or afraid, tell your teacher to call me and I'll come and get you right away. <laughs> okay, she smiled. Then she asked if I'd turn on the little uh, music CD of her little ch uh, kids' songs. Okay, I said. 
So while she sang songs, I swallowed lumps. I watched her as she sang. She suddenly looked big. Her neck stretched as high as she could to see out over the dash. Her eyes were hungry and bright. Her hands were folded in her lap. Her feet were wearing brand new turquoise and pink tennis shoes, barely extended over the seat. Dedlin was right, I said. I'll never make it through the wedding. What is she thinking, I wondered. Does she know how tall this ladder of education is that she'll be beginning today? No, she didn't, but I did. How many whiteboards will these eyes see? How many books will these hands hold? How many teachers will those feet follow and gulp, imitate? Were it within my power, I would have, at that very instance, assembled all the hundreds of teachers and instructors and coaches and tutors that she would have over the next 18 years, and I would have announced, this is no normal student. This is my child. Be careful with her. As I parked and turned off my engine, my big girl suddenly became small again. But it was the voice of a little girl that broke into the silence. Daddy, I don't want to get out. I looked at her. The eyes that had been so bright were now fearful. The lips that had been singing were now trembling. I had to fight a Herculean urge to grant a request. Everything within me wanted to say, okay, let's forget the whole thing and get out of here for a brief moment. He said, I considered kidnapping my own daughter, grabbing my wife and escaping the horrid pause of progress to live a life in the Himalayas. (laughs) But I knew better. I knew that it was time. I knew that it was right. I knew that she would be fine. But I never knew it would be so hard to say, honey, you'll be all right. I'll carry you. And she was all right. One step into the classroom and the cat of curiosity pounced on her. And I walked away. I gave her up. Not much. Not as much as I'll have to one day in the future. But I gave her up as much as I could today. As I was walking back to my truck, a verse pounced on me. It was a passage that I've studied before. Today's events, though, took it from black and white theology to technicolor reality. The verse comes from Romans, and it says this, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Is that how you felt, God? Is what I felt this morning anything like what you felt when you had to give up your son? If so, it explains so much. It explains the proclamation of angels to the shepherds outside Bethlehem, a proud father announcing the birth of his son. It explains the voice uh, at Jesus' baptism, this is my son whom I love. You did what I wanted to do but couldn't. It explains how your heart must have ached as you heard the cracking voice of your son, Father, take this cup away from me. I was releasing Jenna into a safe environment with a compassionate teacher who stood ready to wipe away any tears from her eyes. You released Jesus into a hostile arena with a cruel soldier who turned the back of your son into raw meat. I said goodbye to Jenna, knowing that she would make friends and laugh and draw pictures. You said goodbye to Jesus, knowing that he would be spat upon, laughed at, and killed. I gave up my child fully aware that were she to need me, I would be at her side in a heartbeat. You said goodbye to your son, fully aware that when he would need you most, 
when he was in anguish and despair, you would sit in silence. The angels, though positioned, would hear no command from your lips. Your son, though in anguish, would feel no comfort from your hands. He gave his best, Paul reasons. Why should we doubt his love? You know, in a very real way, this is the picture of Christmas, isn't it? It's the, this, is, this is what Christmas is all about. It's about a God who loves you and who loves me so much, so very much, that he would send his son into that reality. Imagine that. Do we have a Henry here someplace? All right, cue the, cue the Henry. All right, I've got one more uh, word picture. Some of you might know uh, Henry. Henry is uh, a part of our downtown campus. He's the son of Molly and Kyle. Henry has got to be one of the most winsome and cute and well-loved kids on the planet, don't you think? He's awesome. And I just was, can I take him for just a second? Will you come to me? I know this is kind of a freaky experience. Hey, Henry. Hi. Yep, mom. Point at mom. That's mom. But I was just thinking about this picture right here, right? And just imagining what it would be like for Molly and Kyle, or what it would be like for any of us to take our son, our only son whom we love, and to send him into the reality that Jesus was sent into. I mean, can you imagine sending your son into a reality where he would die? That, in its essence, is the picture of Christmas. A father who, even though brokenhearted over it, loved humanity so much that he would offer his son, almost cringing and almost hardly able to look as he sent him from heaven to earth to be born in a barn, to be laid in a feed trough where the animals had been, a drafty old barn, to live into one day die so that you and I can become sons and daughters of God. That's the picture. That is Christmas. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son has been given. We're going to hit the pause button for, for just one minute. And I want you just to think about and just wait and just pause on, those, on that thought that God gave his son for you. And we're going to have a, a song to just sort of uh, allow us to think about that and to, to reflect on what that would look like. It's welcome to our world. So the task I have before us this evening is to talk about the why. I'd like to start off and read a passage of God's word that we typically do not think of as a Christmas passage. It's a passage that while on first reading doesn't feel at all to be about Christmas story, the Christmas story. I mean, there's no mention of a baby. There's no mention of a manger or Mary and Joseph. But it is a significant passage for us as we really grasp the true meaning of Christmas, the majesty, the splendor, and the scandal of Christmas. In the New Testament, in the book of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, it says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It says when the fullness of time had come. Now if you've been around us at either campus the last month or so, we've been talking about a life in the meantime. 
And what we mean by that is that there's this space, this time between what we want to see happen in our lives and what, we actually, what actually happens in our lives. It's a space that we all go through from time to time where we're waiting on God. You know, those moments in life when we're waiting on God to come through, waiting on family to get better, waiting on our finances to get better, waiting on our work lives to get better. We're just waiting, waiting, waiting for God to show up. And what we've been saying this last month is that Christmas is really all about the waiting. That's what Christmas was about, a group of people waiting on the Messiah to come, waiting for a Savior to show up. And truthfully, I've been wanting to share this verse for the last three weeks. I've been dying to share this verse for the last three weeks because it says that when the fullness of time had come, that is at the perfect time, God showed up. At the perfect time, the Savior of the world came. It was no accident that Mary and Joseph were on their way to Bethlehem. It was no accident that Jesus was in a stable. No accident that Herod was trying to kill him. No, it was the perfect time for Jesus to come. It was the perfect time for God to send his son. And you know what? I believe it's the perfect time tonight as well. It's the perfect time for you and I to be here. I mean, it feels like Christmas. It, it feels right. It feels like the perfect time to, to, to gather and to sing Christmas carols, to see the lights, to join with family and friends, to drink hot cocoa. This is what Christmas Eve is about. But I also believe it's the perfect time to hear something else. You see, in Galatians, it also gives the perfect reason for why the Son is given. It says in verse 5, to redeem those under the law. It says the Son was given to redeem, that is to rescue those under the law. The law is a list of religious rules that people had to follow perfectly to get access to God. By a show of hands, anyone in this room perfect? Anyone never make a mistake in your life? If your hand went up, you need to put your hand down because you just lied to all of us. <laughs> the reality is that all of us are imperfect. See, there's a problem with trying to follow religious rules. No one can follow all of them. None of us can follow all of them. And in not being able to follow them, people like you and like me are left apart from God. We're left separated from God. And no matter how hard the people in Jesus' day tried, and no matter how hard we on this earth tried, there's no way that you and I will ever be good enough to get back on our own into the presence of God. He is way too perfect, way too holy, and we are too broken, too imperfect. But the passage doesn't end there. He says, to redeem those who are under the law so that, for this reason, because, so that they might receive adoption as sons. And right there is the amazing outcome of the Christmas story. The baby was born in a stable at the perfect time so that we, you and I, might receive adoption as sons, so that you and I could be adopted. Now you might be wondering, so what? What is the significance of that? Well, let me illustrate by telling you a story. Stephanie, uh, my wife and I, we have some fr family friends named Mark and Cindy Strecker who adopted a baby named Lily from China. Because in China, little girls are not wanted because they don't carry on the family line 
And because of China's one-child-only policy, Lily was just left on the street. All they have from her life in China is a newspaper article that talks about a child being found. She was just left. We have no idea if she was left to die or if her parents left her with the hopes that someone would find her and rescue her. To this day, they know nothing about her background or her family. They don't even really know her real birthday. But here's the amazing thing about Lily and the Streckers. I have three children, and I love them immensely. I absolutely adore my kids. I am grateful to God for giving them to me. They are indeed a blessing in my life. But you know what? I do not have a choice in who my kids are and who they would be. I didn't get the choice to decide that Joshua was going to be a boy. I didn't get to choose that Beth would be our second child. I didn't choose for Micaiah to be our big ball of energy. In each of my kids, after we got pregnant, it was really up to God on the type of kids that we would have, what their gender would be, what their personality was going to be. We didn't get to choose our kids. Those were chosen for us. But when Mark and Cindy started the adoption process, they chose Lily. They looked at Lily. They looked at that little girl who was orphaned, who was left all alone in the world without someone to care for her, and said, we choose you. We pick you to be part of our family. We pick you to be our daughter. And not only did they choose her, they paid a steep price to adopt her. International adoptions are not a cheap thing. They chose her, and they paid tens of thousands of dollars to bring her into their family. And now Lily is a Strecker. She's a normal, regular part of the family, and she has her dad wrapped around her little finger. She has all the rights and privileges of all the other children. She's not some unwanted child from China, but their sweet, wonderful daughter. In much the same way, this is what this passage in Galatians is saying. You and I are like Lily. You and I were left in the darkness. We were left in the cold. But what this passage means is that God has come and chosen you. God reached out 2,000 years ago for you. It is no accident that you are here tonight. Some of you are here because you chose to be here. Truthfully, this is part of your church family, and, and there's no other place you'd rather be tonight than to come and to worship with us on Christmas Eve. Others of you are here because you saw a sign or, or got an invite and you were curious, and so you made your way here. Others of you are here because mom or dad boyfriend, girlfriend, grandma, grandpa, someone in your family dragged you here. <laughs> and truthfully, you would rather be any place else than at church tonight. But you came because it's a family thing, it's a tradition thing, it's Christmas Eve, you should come to church. But listen, no matter how you got into this room this, morning, this evening, you are not here by accident. God chose you to be here. God sent his son Jesus to be born in a smelly barn, not to create some amazing tale that we can all sing about one time a year. That we can look at this sweet little baby and think, oh, how cute that is. No, he sent his son into the world for each and every single one of you so that you could be adopted. 
so that you can be accepted, so that you can be part of God's family, to become a child of the living God. It was for that reason that God sent his son. Now, truthfully, some of you are also thinking, okay, so what's the big deal? I'm adopted by God. How does that change my life? What is the big deal in the God of the universe choosing me, choosing you? Well, if you look at verse 6 and 7, it says this, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. These two verses tell us two things about the significance of being adopted. First, for some of you in this room right now, you have felt orphaned. There's times where you have felt forgotten, where you feel like you've been left in the cold. And in verse 6, it says, because of the spirit of the Son in our hearts, that's Jesus in our hearts, we can cry out, Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy. It means that God has not forgotten you. God did not abandon you. God loved you so much, he sent his son so that you can sit on his lap. And you can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. It means that even if you felt orphaned and abandoned, you can feel the love of a daddy right now. You can know a love and a connection so real. The same connection that Mary had as she held that baby tight in her arms is the same connection that you can have as well as God, the Father, Abba, Father, Daddy holds you tight in his arms. No matter what life throws at you, no matter what darkness you are in or have been or will be in, God has got you as a loving father holds tight to his child. Second, it also means that you're an heir, meaning all the privileges that come with being a son and a daughter of the Most High God are available to you right now. And God does not hold out on his kids. God loves, adores, is passionate about giving good gifts to his children. Now those gifts might not be a brand new Ferrari or the mansion on Grandview Drive, I've asked, but no. <laughs> They're gifts that are worth so much more in value. They're the gifts that, that are described in Isaiah chapter 9 that Russ read earlier. They're the gift of a great light as we walk in darkness, a great joy like no other joy, a burden that's been lifted, the counsel and wisdom of Almighty God, justice and peace. It's a new and brand new life. The fullness of time has come for you to understand that the baby in the manger is God's way of choosing you to be his child. It's his way of paying the cost of an international adoption because he loves you and wants to bless you and make you his own. The amazing thing about Christmas is that a child has been given. A son has been born at the perfect time so that we could be adopted, to be part of God's family. That we can sit on his lap and cry out, Abba, Father, and become heirs of every good gift that God wants to give us. So God sent his son, first thing, so that you and I can become sons and daughters of the living God. So that you and I can be adopted into his family, so that you and I can come back home.
so that we can sit around his table, so we can share a meal together, so that we can know intimacy with him. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to pour out his love on you. He wants to bring peace to your life. He wants you to know his presence. He wants to teach you and lead you and empower you to live the life that you were born for. Jesus made a way for all of that to happen by coming down, by taking our sins on him and by dying in our place on the cross and then rising again on the third day. He is now alive forevermore and is ready and willing, even desiring to bring about these things in your life and in mine. But he waits for us to receive him. He waits for us to open up our hearts in our lives. He waits for us to cry out in faith, Jesus, I need you. Would you come into my life? Would you come and wash away my sins? Would you forgive me? Would you come and bring hope into my life? Would you come and make me aware of your presence? Would you come and lead me from this point forward? I am yours. God gave his son so that we can become sons and daughters of God. But he waits on you. Will you receive it? Will you open up your heart in life? Will you say, Jesus, come in. I need you. He waits for us. The Bible makes it clear that it real, all of this comes down to a choice, an opportunity to receive the Son, an opportunity to receive the gift of life and the gift of forgiveness and joy and peace and all those things that we talked about earlier, to receive an opportunity to receive the Son or reject Him. John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 is a little different uh, Christmas story, but it comes straight out of it nonetheless. And ends up saying this, he, Jesus, came to that which was his own, came into this world, but his own did not receive him. His own rejected him. Those that he made did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed, who put their faith and trust in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to become sons and daughters of God. It all comes down to this. What will you do with the son? Reminds me of a story that I uh, heard a number of years ago about a a widowed uh, older man uh, that had one and only son. His son's name was Mark. His his son was an adult. He was a rare art dealer. And uh, nothing gave this father more joy than watching his son, his wisdom, his love of art, even his knowledge and his his good business skills uh, create a thriving art business. He bought all kinds of uh, rare and valuable paintings. And uh, he had masterpieces. People, uh, art collectors from around the world, coveted uh, this guy's art collection. But then in an era, a war came, and uh, Mark went off to fight in this war and was killed. And the father found out right before Christmas. And as you can imagine, at the death of his one and only son, he fell into a deep funk. And he was uh, depressed and all kinds of things until one day he... uh, heard a knock at the door and he opened up the door and uh and there was a soldier sitting there with a painting wrapped up in brown paper uh before him 
and he introduced himself and explained how he and Mark had become good friends and how Mark, this man's son, had actually given his life to save this young soldier's. He asked if he could come in and uh, they came in and they talked and with instantly they were clicking and telling stories and laughing and there was, there was joy as they talked about Mark and, and shared stories about, uh, about how Mark had actually rescued dozens of other soldiers before giving uh, his own life to that end. The soldier then paused for a moment and said, I hear uh, through Mark that you have a wonderful love for art. And he said, I am an artist. I'm uh, not as good as I would like to be, but I've painted something for you and I want you to have it. And so he handed the man that brown paper wrapped painting. The man unwraps it and there is a picture of his son. And it's amazing. He starts crying as he looks at the detail and just the, the, the way that his face and his whole being has been depicted by this artist. And this uh, one painting be- ends up becoming the treasure of this man's life. He starts moving away uh, uh, paintings by masters, right? And putting this picture of his son as the center uh, of, of his whole collection. As Christmas comes and goes, uh, he spends hours just sitting and staring at the picture of his son and remembering the words of the soldier. And uh, uh, he ends up finding peace in the midst of that. Well, not long afterwards, uh, the man ends up dying. And art dealers around the world start Hoping, right? They start, they start whispering and they start talking about this man's vast art collection that he had inherited from his son, about all the masterpieces worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. And they are salivating. The day finally comes when they have a great art auction to get rid of, like I said, millions of dollars worth of art. And uh, the first piece up for bid they take out is a picture, the painting that the soldier had painted of this man's son. And he puts it up front and he says, uh, he says, all right, we're going to start out our auction today with this painting. Who will open, open the bidding on the picture of this man's son? Crickets, right? Not a sound. In fact, people start, some of the art dealers from the back start saying, who cares about a picture of this guy's, this dead guy's son? We don't even care. Let's get on to the real paintings. Let's get on to the really, the good stuff here. He says again, no, 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 no. Who will take the son? Do I have $100? Again, silence comes across the room. Any bid, make a bid. Who will take the picture of the son? Finally, one man, an older gentleman in the back said, "Uh, I knew the lad. Uh, We were neighbors and we were good friends. I'd love to have the painting. All I have is $10. Would $10 uh, be sufficient? Would that be enough? He says, I have $10. Who will give me 20? Nothing. He says, going once, going twice, sold. Hits the gavel. And then he says, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for coming. The auction is now closed. Well, you can imagine an uproar starts occurring in the room. People are going nuts. There's millions of dollars of artwork here. We didn't come for some, some guy's picture of his son, some amateur's pick painting. We came for the good stuff. What about all the rest of the art? And he said, well, according to the will of the father, he who takes the son gets it all. And in a, in a very real way, 
The story of Christmas comes down to this. He who takes the son gets it all. Gets it all. Because for to us a child has been born, a son has been given, so that you and I can become sons and daughters of God. And this happens the moment we put our faith and trust in him, the moment we open up our hearts and our lives and we say, come Lord Jesus, I need you, I want you, I want to live my life with you. I need you to come and cleanse me and forgive me and make me new. I want you to be my God. I need you to be my Savior, and I want to follow you as the leader of my life. The Bible says the moment we do, the moment we turn in his direction and cry out in faith like that, we are adopted. We become sons and daughters of God. And we can live with him. He will come and fill us and take up residence in our lives. The moment we do, we have his life and his peace available to us. The moment we do, we discover that the living God is with us. That he loves us, he forgives us, and he makes us new. Friends, we did not want you to go through this this Christmas and open up presents and, and have meals and enjoy all the great things of the season. Those are wonderful, but I don't want you to miss the point and the purpose that a son has been given so that we can become sons and daughters of God. Let's close in prayer. I'd encourage you as you're ready just to sort of open up your uh, just to open up your hearts and your lives whether you've done this before or you've uh, never done it before I pray that you just crack the door of your heart and just pray with me God we thank you so much for sending your one and only son for loving us so much that you would send your son. Jesus, we thank you that you would willingly come to this earth, that you would live and that you would even die and rise again so that we can come home, so that we can be adopted, so that we can know life and fullness and joy and peace with you. Father, forgive us for so often going our own ways for, for a, ways that we have rebelled, ways that we have sinned, the junk, the patterns, the, the ways we've fallen into temptation, the ways we've uh, fallen into sinful patterns and ruts and habits and hang-ups and all that other stuff. God, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? Would you make us new because of Jesus? Right now, God, we just want to open up our hearts open up our lives to you and we pray come Lord Jesus come and fill us come and lead us and guide us come and be our God and our Savior our King and our friend we need you and we want you we put our faith and our trust in you we receive the Christmas gift that you sent some 2,000 years ago come into our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.